Um, it was a really great experience, especially as we reflect upon that slide from the beginning of our service today. He loves thee too little, who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. And it was helpful this week to be in such beautiful places and to, be, to have men around me who could help me to remember that I'm not supposed to love the water or the scenery or the blue sky or the green or whatever it was that was captivating in the moment for its own sake, but as a way of pointing us back to the Lord Jesus Christ who both created it with his word and sustains it by the word of his power. And there was numerous times I'd never been on water this big before. It's been a long time since I've been apprehensive entering the water. And there was a few times where I looked at this churning, frothing rapid, and I thought to myself, well, I thought too much. And so I had to just tell myself, put the boat in the water, get in and just go. You can overthink this. Because one of the things that you learn on a river like that is how powerful water really is. How beautiful it is, how enjoyable it is, the kind of joy that can come from experiencing it. But also, it's dangerous. It's big, it's heavy, it's moving. And I feel like that today. I was asked this morning, what is it like to prepare? Is it like writing an essay? I guess. But the apprehension that I'm, I experience as I come to the pulpit and I'm standing before you is similar to how I felt as I was standing or standing in the water ready to jump into this rapid. This is dangerous business. This is not to be trifled with. It's not just writing an essay. This is God's word. And I have the privilege today of bringing it to you. And so I come before you with that recognition and with humility, um, also recognizing the same thing that I did as I looked at those waters God is merciful, God is gracious, God is kind. We together will get to the end of this, and because it's his word, we'll be blessed. So the last time I was here, um, I wanted to talk about, about remembering. I wanted to talk about remembering, but before we did that, specifically I wanted to talk about um, some of the groundwork that we needed to delay before we could really dive into that whole idea of remembering. And I wanted to talk about remembering because I have trouble, as you might recall, with amnesia. And many of you can relate to this. Room amnesia, you move from one room to the other and you wonder why you're there. Refrigerator amnesia, what was I supposed to be getting out of the refrigerator again? But most importantly, I think we can all, to one extent or another, recognize that we have spiritual amnesia. We have, um, we have trouble remembering key things. That if I remembered, if you remembered, moment by moment, your life would be absolutely changed. I know that some of us here today struggle with belief. Do I believe the claims of the Bible do I, I know God exists, but can he be trusted? And I know there are some of you who, who sit here and that's where you're at. But I don't believe that's where most of you are. I believe most of you are where I'm at. I want to believe. I want to trust. I know God is trustworthy. And I just forget in those key moments that if I remembered who God is, I remembered who I am. If I remember the cross, just, just throughout the day, just remember the cross. God's mercy to me as a sinner. God's holiness, my finitude. If I remembered the constant demands of my flesh to just want to wrest control from God, to sit on my own throne, if I could remember how stupid that really is, how foolish that is, my life would be utterly changed. But I forget. Imagine for a moment you actually do have amnesia, physical amnesia. Have you ever thought about this? How absolutely world-changing, life-changing that would be for you? To not know who you are. You don't know your name. 
You don't know your family. You don't know your people. You don't know where you are. You wake up one, one day and suddenly you are in a place and you have no context for where you are. You don't know where you came from. You have no sense of history. You don't know where you're supposed to be going. You have no direction, no purpose. I was watching a video, really interesting. A man had a kind of amnesia where he could only remember the last seven seconds. The last seven seconds, that's it. His wife said, she, he has no ability to function in normal life. He can't go outside. His wife said, it's like being on Mars and losing your tether. He'd never find his way back. He can't read a book because he can't remember the last sentence. When he was asked, what is it like? He knew enough to say this, and I want you to focus for a second on what he says. He's talking about this physical amnesia that he has, but I think if you reflect on this, you'll begin to sense how important it is to remember. He described his amnesia this way. He said, it's like being unconscious. It's the same as death. And so we're going to look at Deuteronomy this morning, or this afternoon, and my hope is that together, we as, as a people will take to heart the call to remember. Because the book of Deuteronomy, really, as it unfolds, we're just being reminded, God's people, we're being reminded, we're being reminded today of who God is, his acts in history, his provision for his people, and the fact that he is a co- the covenant God of Israel, he is our covenant God. So please, um, I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand. We're going to read all of Deuteronomy 8. And so as we do, if, don't stand if you can't. If that's something you can't, if you can't stand for 20 verses, totally understandable. But if you can, um, I'm going to ask you in a moment to do so. And children, I'm going to ask you to, to look for two words. I want you to count them up. You can, don't have to keep track of each word, but just all together, rem, look for the word remember and look for the word forget as we read. Look for the word remember, and look for the word forget. Adults, you can do that too if you'd like. But please stand as we read God's word out of a recognition that his word is special and deserves honor and respect. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting at verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. It doesn't say remember, so you don't have to count it, but that's a way of saying remember. Be careful that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. That's a promise. And then he calls us to remember. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. He'll picture the wilderness journey that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing didn't wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you, and so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you in to a good... Okay, we're picturing the people of God thousands of years ago. This is relevant to us today. So hear this as God's promise to you. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, 
and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, that your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. So beware, be careful, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that you may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods to serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today, you shall perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated and let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So we're going to be talking about remembering today. And kids, if you were keeping track, there should have been five rememberings and forgetting if you add them two together. Um. Speaking of remembering, does anybody remember about two months ago what I preached on? I would have to look it up too, so don't feel bad. But some of the things that I tried to point out was that we have as a culture a fascination with what what we call pragmatism. We want God to be useful. By this we mean we want God to be a tool that we pull out of our little utility belt that we can manipulate to get our desired outcome. We want to treat God like a tool. But in God's universe, you might recall, you can aim with skill and precision and you will never hit what you're aiming at if it's not aimed in the right direction. And that would be at God's glory. But if you aim in faith with the right goal in mind, you can aim poorly, you can mess up, and you'll hit it every time. That's God's grace. That's how he works in the economy of the universe. And so God isn't Superman. We talked about that. God isn't Superman. He's a king who conquered us. Our relationship to him is one of vassal to Lord. He's our king. That means we owe him submission. We owe him faith and obedience. God does not come into our lives to solve our problems. He does come in to solve our problems. That's, he does solve them. But he doesn't solve them in the way that we want, and he doesn't solve them so that we can just go on our way and do do what we had intended on doing before the problem came. He utterly changes us. He upends everything about us. But God, a God like this, who makes good promises and keeps them, that's abundantly practical. It may not be what you want, but a God who makes good promises and keeps them is abundantly practical. And so this is the starting place of what we're to remember. We need to remember who God is. We need to remember who we are. God is our covenant Lord. And that's designed to remind us, to prove to us, that we should want to remember. We should desire to remember. So let's start here. If you don't desire to even be here, in your deepest longings, you would rather be somewhere else. If you don't want to remember, that's the starting place. If that's the case, then serious examination needs to take place in your heart. But I don't believe that's the case for most of us here. Um, So I'm bringing this to you because it's something that God has been bringing to my attention. Do you this morning, I have four four questions, or I have three questions and then a, a comment, why this is important. Do you want to be free from the burden of your sin? Do you want to be free from the burden of your sin? Then we have to remember. Do you truly want 
as a good Presbyterian, to glorify God. And if we were not Presbyterians, you'd be saying amen right now. But we are, and so I know that you want to glorify God. Okay. Then you need to remember. I need to remember. And what comes next? Oh, yeah. Do you want to be able to enjoy him starting now and on into forever? And, there, you know, there would be an amen if we weren't Presbyterians. But since we are, we know that it's, we want to glorify God. We want to enjoy him. How do we do that? Well, one of the key parts of living as a Christian is that we learn to remember. But remembering is not like reciting a mantra, a spell. And mem- uh, it's n- I'll give you an example. Recently, um, I had a conversation with a young man. And uh, God had confronted him with some sin in his life. So we talked about it, and in the end, he said, you know what I want to do? When I, next time I'm confronted with this sin, I just want to, ha- I just want to say this simple, little, this simple little truth. I love God more than I love my sin. I love God more than I love my sin. I'm like, Well, that seems like a good plan. And so he went home, and a week later, we checked in, and he, every time he was confronted with this sin, he, would, he, he immediately would respond before it had any time to grow, no, I love God more than I love my sin. And it revolutionized his life. And months later, this is a pattern of his life now. He's reminding himself of a truth. He loves God more than he loves his sin. And he was so excited after this first week that he went and he sat down with one of his friends and said, I got to tell you about this. And so he told him. And so his friend, similar issues in his life, went home came back a week later, told his friend, that didn't work. I tried saying it 10 times. Didn't do any different, make any difference. So what was the difference between the first young man and the second young man? What was it? The first young man actually loves God more than he loves his sin. The second doesn't. He wanted to treat this truth like it was just a spell, an incantation. If you say the words magically there's a power in the words that will change your life. And it didn't change his life because it wasn't true. I love God more than I love my sin. That's an important thing to remember. But it has to be true. And so what do we learn? Well, in Deuteronomy 8, I don't know if you noticed this, but four times Moses tells the people that God is deeply concerned with what is actually in their heart. And I don't know, I know most of you, some of you, I don't know your, your spiritual history. I don't know where you've come from. But you may be thinking, in terms of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's so different. The New Testament is all about grace and love and God is concerned with my heart. In the Old Testament, God is just cranky. And he just wanted us to do stuff. Well, that's not true. Listen, this is from Deuteronomy 8. This is early on in the, the history of God's people. And he... In verse 2 of of chapter 8 that we just read, and you shall remember the whole way, remember the whole way, the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to see what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Verse 14, take care lest when you have eaten and are full, hmm, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. We have to remember this is an important truth. I love God. If you do, I love God more than I love my sin. But God is concerned about that reality. Is that true in your heart? If it's not, this is an area of repentance. This is an area to turn from. If, you're, if God is showing you this today, wow, I've been trying all these things, and they just don't work. You very well may be like the second young man who has been treating God like a tool he can just pull out of his utility belt Manipulate in order to get a desired end, but that is not what God is concerned about. He wants those who love him from the heart. A second thing to keep in mind, God is concerned about our obedience from the heart, loving him from the heart. 
But when we talk about remembering, we use that word and we think of like memorizing something and being able to recite back. But that is not how God thinks of remembering here. In verse 1, you begin to pick up on what does he mean by remembering? What does that look like? The ability to just recite things back? Kind of. Verse 1, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Verse 2, and you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. The whole commandment I command you today, you must be careful to do and you shall remember. There is a, an intimate connection between doing and remembering. To remember is to do. To remember is to do in, when you think about biblical remembering. You see this in verse 11 by flipping it backwards, looking at the other side of the coin. Take care, be careful that you don't forget. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. To remember is not simply to know in your head and to be able to recite back. Biblical remembering cannot be disconnected from active doing. So how should we remember? If you have your Bibles handy, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to look at two verses, and we're going to look at three ways that we see in this little section of Deuteronomy 4, four chapters prior to what we just read. Three ways, and there are many others, that God gives us to help us to remember. Okay, I'm convinced I need to remember. What are three ways to do that? And after this, we're going to talk about some things to remember, and we'll be done. How should we remember? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Only take care to keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. So in this passage, this, these two little verses, we have three ways, at least three ways, that God has given to us to help us to remember. So if you're convinced, okay, yes, if I, in those moments of need, remembered, my life would be changed. Well, here's three ways that God has given to us to help us to remember. The, the first is to take care to keep your soul diligently. The second is to gather. And the third is to teach. So the first one is to take care to keep your soul diligently. Take care, keep your soul with diligence. Gather and teach. Well, in verse, uh, verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that you, your eyes have seen. The word in Hebrew here for to take care is the word shamar. It means to watch to preserve, to attend. It's also a form of which is used to describe a bodyguard. So picture for a moment, take care to keep your soul diligently. Take care. Put a bodyguard, put a, a ring of guards around your soul so that you don't forget. Do this diligently. Okay, so are you forgetting? This may be part of the problem. There is a vital connection between the state of your soul and your ability to remember. Your soul and your mind are connected in the way that God has designed you. And if you're not guarding your soul, you're not going to remember. So, three questions for you. The first, have you been distracted and left your soul unguarded? How would we do that? Well, have you just been busy recently? I think a lot of us suffer from that. You've just been busy. It's not that you've been actively seeking to forget. You're just busy. It's hard to keep track of all of the plates that are spinning. Are you, are you overwhelmed with life? Maybe it's not that. Maybe, maybe sadness 
Maybe sadness has left your soul unguarded, or even worse, and I say worse not to, not to give you hope, uh, not to steal your hope, but just to, to recognize that hopelessness, hopelessness is a, is a deep, um, produces a deep need in us. It's, it's very hard when we are hopeless. And hopelessness can steal, can take away, can prevent us from having the ability to guard our hearts. It takes all, it saps all of the, the desire away to even try. What's the point, right? When we're hopeless. So I want to encourage you, if you're busy, if overwhelmed, sad, hopeless, and you could fill in lots of blanks here, what is it that is distracting you? That's something to either recognize as, um, just as a reality of your life or to recognize as a sin and to repent of and to turn away from. But either way, recognize that if you're too distracted, you're leaving your heart unguarded and you're not going to have the ability to remember. But that's number one. Number two is, you know, you might be distracted. Number two would be you've chosen to flirt with the enemy. What are some ways that we flirt with the enemy, that we're leaving our heart unguarded. Well, some forms of doubt, not all doubting is bad. To question, to think about, to ponder, that, there's nothing wrong in and of itself, but there's a kind of faithless doubting that is flirting with sin. You haven't jumped all the way into unbelief, but you're allowing your doubts to leave big open spaces around your heart. Maybe you're doing a fine job, just a healthy wondering, but you're doing that alone. There's nobody around to help. There are answers to your questions. If you have a question, if you have a doubt, if you have a wonder, it's been asked before. There is nothing new under the sun. So wondering in solitude is a form of flirting with the enemy, leaving your heart unguarded. Maybe because of the the affliction the difficulty in your life you didn't ask for, it's not your fault. You find yourself desiring the easy paths. Maybe because of the constant pressure and the drumbeat from our culture, you hater, you racist. Maybe because of that, you're like, isn't there an easier way? Like maybe, maybe I can just go over there. You're leaving your heart unguarded. It's impossible to remember if you're doing so. Number three. So we've got just distraction. We've got number two, just beginning to flirt with the enemy and leaving your soul unguarded. Number number three is, have you invited the enemy in? Have you embraced your doubts and it's now full-fledged unbelief? Are you bitter? And you've allowed bitterness to get fed to such an extent that the root is now deep. That is a a hole in the wall of your heart that will prevent you from doing the very things you need to do, including remembering. Remembering God's truths, remembering his law, remembering his mercy and kindness. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you are distracted, if you are flirting with the enemy, if you've invited the enemy in, There is hope today. The hope of God's grace, the hope of God's mercy, it is new every morning. Seal up the doors, post the guards, and begin to think clearly again. So the first first of the three aids to remembering in this, in Deuteronomy 4, 9 to 10, is to take care, to guard your heart, lest you forget. The second is what you're doing now. So, good job. I don't know where you're at on number one, taking care, but I know you get an A-plus for today because number two is gathering. Notice what it says in verse 10. Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. The gathered assembly of God's people is designed to help us to remember Why is it so important to be here? Well, there are lots of reasons, and one of them is that it's designed to help you remember. You come, regardless of how you feel that day, because I need to remember. 
You come regardless of the doubts that you have in your heart because you need to remember. We are forced in this setting, if you're paying attention, you're forced to remember that you are not an isolated island. And I know some of you feel that way. But the fact is, regardless of how you're you're feeling right now, you are not alone. You you can be assured when you look here that there this, this each pew is well the pews that are full the pews that are full are full of people who need mercy. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. The people seated here are not perfect people who are supposed to set the example for you of perfection. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The people around you are here because they need mercy. What an important thing to remember. When you come together, what are some of the things we do? We sing. That's not because, it's not simply because it's something we like to do. Some of you, I know, don't like to sing. But we sing anyway. Do you remember as a picture of how God works? Do you remember what happened when the Israelites first were called to enter in and to take possession of the land in that second generation, the generation that we're, that's being spoken to here in Deuteronomy? Don't forget so that you can be successful as you go into the land. Do you remember how they did it? Put your swords away. Put your shields away. Pick up your horns and walk around the city singing. Well, they weren't singing yet. They opened their mouths, and God used this procession to tear down walls. When we gather together, it's a reminder that, that God uses weapons that are not normal weapons. We come to sing in order to do battle. We come to worship, and part of that is singing, and we actually participate in the very thing that Abraham did. Have you ever noticed? I didn't notice until recently. It was pointed out to me. When Abraham first went into the land, he was wandering for quite a while, and periodically he would set up these places of worship. And hundreds of years later, if you look at what happened as the people of God entered in, those were the places in which the major battles, the major pushes forward in the the conquest of the promised land took place. Abraham, hundreds of years before, set up places of worship, and that's where success took place. That's not an accident. That's how God works. Do you need to remember? Well, when we gather... And when we sing, and when we worship, when we lift up the name of God, that all the clutter in your life should be pressed out, swept up, cleaned out, so that you can remember. We're going to have a chance to sing two more songs today. I would encourage you to remember that as we sing, that we get to do battle with principalities and powers in heavenly places. Doesn't seem like it. Well, look down here. What do we have? We have a meal. It's like a little piece of bread and a little plastic cup full of the fruit of the vine. What can that do? Well, what can a pot do? You're banging the pot up on the ridge. How is that going to bring any kind of victory? God does it. When you sing today, remember you are, whether you feel like it or not, doing battle with principalities and powers. And you are decluttering your life so that you can remember this week. The third thing that we see here, we've got 
taking care to keep your soul diligently. We've got gathering together. The third thing we're going to talk about, and then we'll pick some things that, we, that I'm going to encourage you to remember, but a way of assisting in that remembering is to teach. Is to teach. One of the beautiful things about the, this particular gathering is that as you look around, you'll see little ones. At times in our history, we've had more or less, but you see little ones. Why is that important? Well, it's important because God cares about them. Suffer the children not to come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of God, Jesus said. He cares about them, and he cares about their worship. He desires to hear their voices. He desires for them to shake the principalities and the powers with their little voices. And as we hear their voices, we're reminded that we need to teach them. We have a job to do. That teaching starts now, here in the assembly. We, we encourage one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We teach. They get to look up at you. They get to look over at you. And if you spend enough time with them, they'll know, oh, you know, Mr. So-and-so, he's not perfect. But look at him calling upon the name of Jesus. Look at him appealing to the mercy of God. And as they get older, they remember your irritation or your, your bursts of anger or maybe your sadness. And they see the work of God in you. And we teach. And this teaching, as all teaching should be, should be a mutual blessing. I think the last time I was here, sometime recently, I mentioned that I was responsible for teaching a four-hour class on navigation. And... I had this beautiful PowerPoint I put together, and I'd learned a ton because I didn't really know everything about navigation, but now I had to teach it. And then the PowerPoint stopped working, and I had to use a whiteboard. But the act of preparing to teach, and if any of you have ever taught, you'll know this. Mr. Winther, I'm sure you know what you know now, in large part because you've been required to teach it. Mr. Davies, same thing. And all of us, or not all of us, but many of us have had opportunity to teach, had that that. Uh, that responsibility placed on you, and suddenly you know the content so much better. Do you want to remember? Then teach. Teach. One of the ways that I've already mentioned that we teach is, well, certainly by our words, maybe you have a conversation with a peer or somebody older or a little one, and you find out about a fear they have or a need they have. What a perfect opportunity to teach. Or maybe it's just by what I mentioned earlier, by the example that you set, by them watching your life. And that doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means that when you're not perfect, you're pointing them to the answer to your imperfection, the Lord Jesus Christ, to his mercy. And then they're watching over the years as they see God working in you. So, when your children or when this, your family or when your neighbors or when your coworkers think of you, what do they think of? What have you been teaching them about God? What have both your life and your words been proclaiming? What have you been teaching? When your children, if they were asked, what is the message that you want them most to know, the one thing, what is it? Leticia, there was one thing you could not go away from her memorial service two weeks ago and not know. It was explicit. She wants you to know Jesus Christ the way that she does. That's how she ended her life. That was the echo of her life. What is the echo of your life? Would your children or those who are close to you say that, man, the the thing that he wants me to know is that God is worthy of our love. The thing that she wants me to know the most is that the gospel of grace, the forgiveness 
that you've received quickly extended in word and deed? Are they seeing that in your life? The joy of knowing Jesus. The joy. The, the beauty of holiness. That God acts in history and they are mighty acts and God is trustworthy. These are all good things. I don't think there's necessarily a right answer here. There's wrong answers, but there's lots of good things that you would want to leave to the next generation, that you want to be teaching to your peers. So are you teaching these things? As you teach them, you'll learn them yourself far better. And then it'll be far easier to do the very thing that we're talking about today, remembering. So we're about to talk about some things to remember, some good things um, but before we do, there's, a, there's something that's really important. The time of testing is not the time in which to develop a habit. The time of testing, the time where the pressure is on. This week, the time to learn how to put your paddle in the water is not on a class four rapid. You are going to fail every time. And if you wonder, well... I put my paddle in the water. Why did I fail? It's because that's not the time to be learning. So the time of testing is not the time to develop a habit. The habit must be learned beforehand. We need remembering reflexes. Okay, If you're struggling to remember the truths that you know you need to be remembering, you need to develop remembering reflexes. It needs to become reflexive. You don't have to think about it anymore. So if you struggle to remember in times of temptation, times of stress, times of fear, times of busyness, you can't wait until then to start the process of learning how to remember. When you're called to use the habit, it will only be available to you if it's there. And it will only be available to you if you've been developing it beforehand that's the way that habits are developed by repetition over and over again in the little times when you don't think you need it. So I want to encourage you. We're going to look at some things to remember. I, I'm going to encourage you, challenge you, pick one. And maybe it's not one of these that I'm going to list here. Maybe it's something that God is bringing to your attention even now. Maybe it's something that will come to your attention today. Pick one and do what it takes in the little times throughout this week to remember. Maybe it's a post-it note. Maybe it's lipstick on the mirror. Maybe it's a note on your dashboard. Maybe it's a note on your computer. Maybe it's a friend who's texting you each day. Maybe it's your spouse. Honey, I know you're noticing. I need to remember that. I'm not going to get angry with you if you remind me I need it. I don't know. Your life is different than mine. Find some ways to begin to practice these habits these of remembering just one truth. And let's see as a congregation, as we move forward, how God changes us as we simply get in the habit of doing what God tells us to do over and over and over again throughout Deuteronomy and throughout the scriptures. Don't forget. Remember. So what are some things to remember? Well, in Deuteronomy 6... 10 through 12, hear this. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. And when the Lord, your God, brings you, okay, so he's bringing you. He's doing the work. He's carrying you. When he does that, and when he brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities. So what is God giving? He's giving good things that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive trees you didn't plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. This is another place. We, we, we had an even longer list in chapter 8 of all of the good things that God gives to his people. So what can you remember? That all you've been given is a gift. It's a gift, number one. So just you can think of gift and add to that another G word, 
good gift. Good gift. God gives me good gifts. You're stressed. You're worried. God gives me good gifts. Don't forget that. God gives good gifts. It's all a gift, and it's good. That shiny new bike, children, or... I don't, I don't know what kids even play with anymore. Puzzles. Is that, that's old school. I don't, electronic puzzles. Nintendo? No. Fortnite puzzles. I don't know. Um, the, 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 the toy. It's a gift. It's a good gift. That ability that you are really thankful that God has given to you. Maybe it's physical acumen, maybe it's intelligence, maybe it's social acuity, I don't, I don't know. But it's a good gift. Remember who gave it to you. It's a gift, it's good. Number two, another thing you could remember, just pick one today. Remember that he loves you in spite of yourself. I know most of you, I don't know all of you. Some of you might be here and you might be thinking again, and I've already said it, but it deserves to be mentioned again. If you're here, you're in good company, and that doesn't mean good company. It means sinful company, weak company, company that needs mercy. He loves you not because you're good enough, smart enough, worked hard enough. He loves you in spite of yourself. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other peoples that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. It's not because of your strength. For you were the fewest of all the people. It is because the Lord loves you. Why does he love you? Because he loves you. Why does he love you? It's because the Lord loves you and chose you. You were the fewest of all the peoples. But it's because he loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. He loves you, and you can trust him, and he loves you in spite of yourself because he keeps his promises. He brought you out with a mighty hand, and he redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the house of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and it was not because you deserved it. He loves you in spite of yourself. That should bring sinners such hope, such comfort. He knows you fully, and he loves you fully. Is there any greater desire in the heart of a human being than for those two things to be true at the same time? I don't think so. Something else to remember. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. God is not only sovereign over all things, he is our sovereign. There is a personal connection we have to God as his people. You are not your own. Jesus didn't die, suffer and die, and then conquer death in his resurrection so that you could go about your merry little way. So you could have all your little toys. That is not why he did what he did. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. We, that's a New Testament truth that we see in Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord. That means set apart for a special use. You're set apart for the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So this week, maybe you just need to remember that I'm not my own. A very expensive purchase price was paid for my soul, for my life, for my future, for my now. So wake up remembering the price paid so that you can open your eyes tomorrow morning and then close them again at night. Remembering, I'm not my own. I'm purchased. I'm purchased out of love. And I'm not my own, so I can't keep living like I am. Remember the price paid so that you could close your eyes in death and know for certain that you will open them again in the resurrection. Remember. 
something else to remember. We, I, I really appreciated some of the things that Dave said today during the reading of the law. It was uh, Romans 12. I think it was verses 8 through 10, at which point he said something to the effect of, we're all condemned. So why would we want to remember the law if it's such a negative the news is just so bad every time you hear it. Well, because of Deuteronomy 8.1, the whole commandment I give to you, this is God speaking to his people, he's speaking to us, he says, the whole commandment that I give you today, you should be careful to do. Why? Because I like to place big burdens on the people that I love, because I want to crush them with a burden that's too big for them to carry. No, that is not the answer. The whole commandment that I command you today, God says to his people, you should be careful to do, that you may live you may live. Are you feeling the burden of the law? Well, if you can receive that in mercy, if you can receive the law in the context shot through with grace, in the light of grace, then the law no longer has to condemn you. You can live and flourish. That is why God gave you the law. So have you felt burdened? Do you need a new perspective on the law of God? Then remember it was given that you may live, that you may multiply, that you may go in and possess the land that the Lord your God swore to give to your fathers. The law viewed through God's grace is a gift that we can love. It is given for our good and our growth and our success. So many of us are here and we're trotting some pretty difficult paths. Deuteronomy 8.2 deals with that. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And in the rest of chapter 8, you hear this picture that at times is bleak. No water, no food. But what did God do in the wilderness? I know that many of you feel like you're in a, a dark forest and you're pressing forward. You don't feel like you have any choice. You have to move forward. And as you do, the boughs close over your head and you look back and you can't see the light of where you began and you can't see the light in front of you. And it's overwhelming and it's frightening. What can you remember in those moments? You are not alone. This is not new. This is not new. It's been trod before by saints who have come before you. And most importantly, it's been trod, it's been tread, it's been walked. This path has been walked by the pioneer of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows darkness. He knows what it's, it feels like to be abandoned. It's not new. He's gone ahead. He's, he's calling you forward. I know it's dark. I know it's scary. But the Lord Jesus is ahead of you. He's already walked this path. Maybe that's what you need to remember. And in the midst of these difficult afflictions, maybe what you need to remember is that these, these mercies are they're hard mercies. They are hard and difficult mercies. But they are the mercies of a good father. Deuteronomy 8.5, know then in your heart. Where? Know in your head? No, know in your heart, the very center of who you are. Know in your heart. That as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Does that sound to you like, that's Deuteronomy 8. Does that sound like Hebrews 12? It should. Have you not forgotten, the author of Hebrews says, or have you forgotten, the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when reproved by him. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son, son that he actually receives. 
In the midst of your affliction, don't forget that these hard mercies are hard, but they're mercies, they're given to you by the hand of God for your good. Regardless of how you feel, that is a truth to be remembered. So as we close, I want to read a, and there's many more truths, there's many more things to remember. Those are some. Pick one. And listen to Psalm 16. This is actually from a devotional that I was reading on the Psalms. And in Psalm 16, this, uh, this devotional author says that we walk with, with King David as we walk through Psalm 19, the short but significant path from fear to confidence. In Psalm 16, and maybe write that down, is fear a nemesis in your life right now? Fear for yourself, fear of death, fear for your children, fear for your parents, fear for our country. Well, in Psalm 16, we walk with King David the short but significant path from fear to confidence. From instability to security. From anxiety to authentic, lasting joy. He begins in distress with this plea, Preserve me, O God! Then amazingly, by verse 8, he declares with confidence, I shall not be shaken. How does such a change of heart happen? Theology. How does such a change of heart happen? Theology. The study of God. Knowing God. Remembering God. Rehearsing who God is. That's the form of remembering. Rehearsing who God is for us, can transform everything. Far from detached thought experiments and philosophical speculations, what we believe about God can be life and death for us today. It will make all the difference if we, like David, know God to be our reliable Savior, our sovereign Lord, and as we read at the beginning of our service today, our greatest treasure So let's remember, church, as we move forward, let's remember to remember. Let's practice the reflex of remembering. Pick something this week and choose to make it a habit to remember. I don't believe that if you hide those truths in your heart in that way, that you can be anything but changed. Let's pray. So, Father, many words have been spoken, and there are many ears listening, and then there are many needy and hungry hearts here today. And we know that it is only by the, the work of your Holy Spirit in our heart, tearing down walls, tearing out old bits of flesh, and replacing that hard, rebellious, doubting heart with a new heart that pumps for you that we can have any hope of putting this into practice. And so we call upon you, remembering that you are the good gift giver. You are the God of life and light. You are the God who loved fallen humanity so much that you did send your son, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so we thank you this morning, and we fall at your feet, not groveling, but out of a recognition that you deserve praise and honor and that we don't deserve to be here in your presence and we don't deserve your love and we don't deserve your grace or your mercy or any good gift that you've chosen to give us today. We don't deserve a future and a hope, and yet that is what you've promised. And so, Father, we claim it, we, we ask for it, we bring it to your attention again, not because you've forgotten us or your promises, but we bring it to your attention in part so that it's in front of our face and we can remember Help us to be a people that regardless of how frequently, frequently we go to the, the refrigerator and forget why we're there, that we will never forget those fundamental truths that you've given to us as a kind gift that we might be transformed in the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray this. Amen.